Welcome to Authorized. Up. <coughs> <laughs> staying in, staying in. Whoa. Keep it in. Keep this it like two week cold I've had has continued alright um, <coughs> welcome to Authorized a podcast where we tolerantly discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one novelizations are like a hurriedly closed captioned movie in that they feature 1000 instances of the dialogue from a film being tweaked or words jumping from one character's mouth on screen to another character's mouth on the page. Those scenes will seemingly play out completely differently. They always reach the same conclusion, such that the book still conforms to the plot of the feature film. The result is a faithful, if confusing, piece of retelling. As if a friend has seen the movie and is mostly correctly recounting it to you. These books, like an actor delivering the same monologue for the millionth time, revel in tiny ad-libs and divergences from the Ur-text. Novelizations yearn to get away with as much as they can without getting in trouble. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. I'm Johnny Pomato. And I'm Andrew Marco. Jurassic Park 3 is a 2001 science fiction film directed by Joe Johnston. It is the third entry in the Jurassic Park series, and the only one not based on a book, and sees the return of Dr. Alan Grant, premier dinosaur expert and one of the survivors of the original dinosaur theme park catastrophe at Isla Nublar. Running low on funds for his paleontological projects, Grant agrees to do a flyover of Site B, the other island filled with dinosaurs displaced in time. Little does Grant know that the thrill-seekers who have hired him are not who they claim to be, and have designs to land him among the creatures he has sworn to avoid, for good reason. When his clients plan to rescue their son Eric from Isla Sorna immediately goes sideways, Grant must band together with those who have deceived him to find a way off of the Death Trap Island. Is it good reason that they brought him there or good reason that he swore the dinosaurs it's off? It's good reason that he wants to avoid the dinosaurs. Gotcha. They tried okay. to eat him. I am in agreement with you. Well, not these dinosaurs. Those were different dinosaurs. Dinosaurs as a, as a group tried to eat him, and I think he is in his rights to be wary of dinosaurs. The novelization... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The novelization of Jurassic Park 3 was written by Scott Siensen, based on a screenplay by Peter Buchanan and the characters of Michael Crichton. It was published by Random House New York and Universal Studios in 2001. Who is Scott Siensen? Malcolm Scott Siensen was an author. In addition to writing Jurassic Park 3 and its three spin-off novels, Siensen also wrote books in the Dungeons and Dragons, Godzilla, Kim Possible, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer universes, as well as the Even Stevens novel, Even Stevens, the Stevens get even. So we'll see him again, is what you're saying. Uh, we're probably going to read Even Stevens, the Stevens get even. I don't know how I'm going to fudge the premise to get us there, but sounds good. Tertiary tome, baby, there's got to be one Even Stevens legitimate novelization. Come on. Siensen. <laughs> was particularly enthused about writing dinosaur stories. Dinosaur stories, it seems. Aside from his Jurassic Park works, he also authored several entries in a series called Dinotopia. The series is set in the titular Dinotopia, an isolated island inhabited by 
shipwrecked humans, and sapient dinosaurs who have learned to coexist peacefully as a single symbiotic society. Which all we, we know from Jurassic Park is not possible. It seems like he's very pigeonholed, not to speak <laughs> ill of this dead man, but like, he's not only writing other dinosaur fiction, it's like very similar dinosaur fiction. Siensen also authored the Dinoverse books, an infotainment series meant to walk children through the history of dinosaurs. Scott Siensen tragically died of a blood clot at the age of 51 in 2014. Very young. Yeah, very sad. Shortly before his death, he seemed to be exploring a new passion. He directed the eight-minute short film Devil Got My Woman in 2013. The film follows a businessman spurned in a deal gone bad who becomes obsessed with the idea that his former partner sold his soul to the devil in order to attain his wealth and happiness. Siensen called the short an ode to the blues. Now that all that's out of the way, on the Jurassic Park episode and on the recent-ish Ranking the Novelizations episode, Marco stated that Jurassic Park 3, the novelization, was a book from the boy Eric Kirby's point of view. Would you like to stand and face your crimes. <laughs> so as we have mentioned way back in episode three of the podcast, Jurassic Park, the junior novelization, not a classic. I recalled that in 2001, when I was eight years old, Jurassic Park three was my Jurassic Park. And in the time between I saw the film in July of 2001 and whenever my family purchased the VHS, I was privy to the novelization of Jurassic Park 3, pictured here, lovely Spinosaurus smiling on the cover, and I had thought that book was a retelling of the Jurassic Park story from Jurassic, uh, from Eric Kirby, the child protagonist of this novel's uh, film's point of view, rather. I was wrong. As I was home, dog-sitting over the weekend in my parents' basement, I knew I had to find my copy of Jurassic Park 3. What I found with my copy of Jurassic Park 3 was this book. <laughs> Very Park dramatic Adventures. reveal. Just a really good survival. reveal. <laughs> Mar Marco was holding what appeared to be a single book, Jurassic Park 3 by Scott C. Ensign. And then when he brought up the second book, the first book dropped away to reveal that he was also holding the second book. Pretty good. I have more dramatic tension than Jurassic Park 3. Uh, but oh. Jurassic Park Adventure Ooh. Survivor is a second novel. It's a tertiary tome that takes place within the novel Jurassic Park 3. The events of this tertiary tome are, it's written by the same author and it takes place within it. So, you know, I was eight. It's, it was it was a Mandela effect. I put them together. Mm -hmm. Mea culpa, you know? I had always heard that there was this point of view change too in the Jurassic Park 3 novelization for kids. And so I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm thinking, huh, maybe we're going to get a flashback that does the whole side story about the kid. Never happens. It's a pretty straightforward retelling of the movie, which is fine. I like the movie. Uh, but I then finish the novel, you know, clap my hands, say... Fantastic. Done and done. I am ready to go. And then I turn the page and on the last page, there's an advertisement for that book. And my immediate thought is, <laughs> oh, crap, I read the wrong book. I just read <laughs> the entire Jurassic Park 3 when I was supposed to read this other one. But I was very happy to be told that I was, uh, in fact, reading the correct book, just not the one we thought we were all reading. <laughs> 
you say entire Johnny, but I, I'm curious who took the longest to read this book. It probably took me about 45 minutes to read the Jurassic Park three novelization today. I did this it took in me two sessions over mm-hmm. me, hour hour 15 maybe. Yeah, like many savor. junior novelizations, it goes pretty fast. I guess I read it the slowest. I think it took me like two and a half or three hours. Am I just a dumbass? I don't know. <laughs> can, can I reveal the other thing I found in the basement? Yeah, Andrew, please, please show us the thing you have to show us. So apparently in July of 2001, when I was eight, for everyone who sees this on the Instagram, I was eight when I drew this. Uh, I was so inspired by the film Jurassic Park 3 and these two novels that I read. <laughs> He's really into the dramatic from. drop. I he keeps doing the dramatic drop. Of the cast and some of the principal dinosaurs of this film. And it's it was taped to a wall in my family home in Maine until we sold that house. So now it's in my possession at home. I'm going to reveal this now for everyone here today. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to go in. So uh, Wait, which one's got, Michael Jeter? Uh, <laughs> Michael Jeter, I, I guess, did not make enough of an impact on me to make it all sure. Uh, with the blonde and the pink blouse is Taylioni, I'm assuming. Yes. Uh, the Adolf Hitler lookalike <laughs> is... Very much Adolf Hitler. William H. Macy. That, that's <laughs> a walrus <laughs> mustache like he has yeah, in the movie. Yeah, I see yeah, it. Yeah, I think I captured his arms. <laughs> um, Alan Grant here, obviously, hands at his side, as always. Hat. Wearing his hat. Uh, the Billy is a little haunted. <laughs> the Billy is very... Um, uh, lowly work. Has the right energy. Yeah. Lucky backpack, right? Yeah. Eric, Eric l- looking more like Casper. Let <laughs> me say that the the jungle, his eight weeks in the jungle, really changed Eric. And over here in the corner, we have a uh, like a brachiosaur hanging out behind a tree. I don't think its feet are on the ground though. <laughs> wow. And down at the bottom, we have a spinosaurus just looking happy. I love the Spinosaur. It scared me, but I was obsessed with it. I had many dinosaur spinoff books. I was a big dinosaur kid in the 90s. So mm. this is just uh, really, I think, one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> and that includes this podcast. Marco, did you get a chance to reread the, the spinoff book Survivor? Yes, I did. Okay, wonderful. I also read the book. And I, I would characterize it as more of a prequel like technically it's an interquel in the sense that it picks up after uh eric is you know marooned on the island but yeah it's like the saw four of pre of novels basically well we can't do this again (laughs) but um technically that's not correct because saw four and saw three end simultaneously whereas survivor ends when he finds alan grant does Survivor explain what happens to Ben? I mean, he gets eaten by dinosaurs, but like... No! Yes, what? it. well, it does. It does. What? So, it so uh, I it explained it satisfactorily. We, we get into, are we getting into Survivor? Are we going to even talk about JP3? <laughs> no, wait, I have so much to say about JP3. I would even say that I have more to say about it than Survivor. All right, then let me press the tertiary tone button that we love so very, very much. <laughs> This is going to be a little different, though. It's going to be, like, interwoven, right? Like, we're going to be talking yeah. a little JP3 a little bit. I just wanted to say about the death of, what's his name? The the stepfather, Ben. ben that in the movie... Step-boyfriend. It's step-boyfriend. It, in the movie, it seems 
uh, completely inexplicable how he dies because we see the camera footage of him dangling from the tree and he's like, okay, Eric Kirby, drop down. You'll be fine. And then Eric Kirby drops down. And he's like, I did it, not dad. And then they show up to the island and they find uh, Ben and his... A skeleton. He's a, a he's, skeleton. he's a full... He, he got no meat. And he's still and in the harness. Still in the, yeah. Connected he's still, to the, he says in the film on the, the found tape recording, all right, I'm going to cut myself down now yes get myself down now so in the book it's cleared up that when they get to the island eric drops down and then it becomes very apparent to him that ben is like being a leader being like a father figure being brave even though he was gravely injured in their descent to the the island and by the trees and so he basically is like okay i'm gonna drop down now i'm doing it don't worry i'm coming and then he just dies immediately that is not what i had imagined from what the movie gave me at all yeah though Hmm. i think we're supposed to assume that dinosaurs and the heat of costa rica's jungles over an eight-week period resulted in him being a literal skeleton. I had always assumed they crash on the island. He's like, okay, Eric, you're down. I'll get down next. Oh, God, there are raptors here right <laughs> now. Go, go, go. And then he gets eaten by raptors in the yeah. thing. And given, Andrew and I will get into this, but given how much raptors appear in Jurassic Park Adventure Survivor, yeah. I'm surprised they did not show up that early because it is all raptors all the time. Here's a second question What eats the guys on the boat? <laughs> Never. Yeah, no uh, one knows. I've had this question for the last 21 years. It's not raptors. Do they swim? I think it's supposed to be the pteranodons, except they. it's established later that they are in the cage and can't get I'm out. So in, it, yeah. I think, uh, it, it, Marco, I think you're forgetting that Survivor makes it explicit that the people on the boat were taken out intentionally by the competitors who owned another bathroom tiling business. And <laughs> that's not true. Why would they care? Their plan was because they want Eric Kirby's parents to come to the island. And this is the only way to do it. Uh, so no. I, I do uh, uh, want to mostly talk about the Jurassic Park three novelization, but since we're at the beginning of survivor, let me just hit two things right at the beginning of survivor. First of sure. all, both of these books as physical media are wonderful. So <laughs> when you open up Survivor, the first page, like the first page, is a, a note written by Eric Kirby. It says, Dear Reader, my name is Eric Kirby, and I am a survivor. I stayed alive, stranded and alone for eight weeks in a land where dinosaurs rules ruled. A lot of people have asked how a 13-year-old from Eden, Enid, Oklahoma, did what no one thought could be done. I've had my reasons for keeping quiet. The main one is I felt my mom and dad had been through enough, and the truth might be hard for them to take. Last night, I told them everything. Every detail. I was right. It wasn't easy for them. But they told me not knowing had been a lot harder. It felt good to finally talk about what happened. So now, I'm telling you. This is my story. And then it goes into, like, the legal pages, the, like stuff with the author's yes. name yes yes wow i mean to be fair jurassic park 3 also does a similar gag where the very first page is like a caution restricted area extreme danger turn ahead there's Stop, multiple that's proceed. what i love yeah yeah there's like four 
the last one says, you have been warned. Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> bum bum. Yeah. So well, I think awesome. they're trying to honor the comical restricted that appears on screen early in the first few minutes of Jurassic Park. Mm. So I want to jump into Jurassic Park 3, but the last thing I'll say about Survivor before we do is the first chapter of Survivor is like an invented scene in which uh, Eric's mom and Ben give him the news that he's going to do this parasailing thing. In a jacuzzi on a yacht. They're in a jacuzzi on a yacht. Ben has some money. He has a platinum visa, we find out (laughs) later on. So the chapter ends with, I look to the bright blue water ahead. Somewhere in the distance lay Injun's prehistoric zoo, an island of real live dinosaurs. I was going to see Jurassic Park. I was going to live my dream. Beginning of chapter two. Dreams die. People die. <laughs> this poor kid. And we it just jumps straight to he's already marooned on the island. He's just yeah. like, well, wow. my dreams were bad and I shouldn't have had them. He read Alan Grant's book. Didn't he know that Jurassic Park was a bad idea and it's not cool and it's not fun? Well, he prefers the first book, which suggests that <laughs> yeah. he liked the theoretical stuff. And then the second book, which is like, don't make dinosaurs that bad. That's bad. He was like, this book is trash. I love that Alan Grant is such a petty bitch that they are in like a life or death situation. He's still got a, you know, rib on Ian Malcolm to be like, have you read Ian Malcolm's book? You didn't like it, right? It's right, so unfair. Right. Like, I know I've harped on this before, but in the first movie, Alan and Ian have one scene where they talk to each other as human beings. And Alan Grant comes out of that conversation being like, fucking hate that guy. Not interested. He, he lives <laughs> or dies. His book sucks. I want to just touch on something that's always annoyed me about Jurassic Park 2 and 3. Movies that I like that I will throw on from time and time again. So, Hannah, you're the the Jurassic Park, the original novel expert, I would take it. In Thank you for saying that. That's kind. At the end of that book, they blow up the island, right? Uh, They napalm it. So the dinosaurs are dead. Yeah. And that is why when Steven Spielberg held Michael Crichton at gunpoint and forced <laughs> him to write a book that he would later not adapt as the sequel, The Lost World, there is a site B. Yes. But there is no reason in these movies, and Jurassic World makes sure of it, that there needs to be a second island. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's just R2. I think there are there are like stuff, there's stuff in the in the Lost World novel that is in the movie that like require a different set of like compounds and like geographic features and I sure. think then they were like, yeah, sure, site B, let's do it. Uh, Marco's right though. It's hard to imagine that they couldn't just map whatever they needed on to Isla Nublar and be like, we didn't see this part or what have you. Um, Johnny, you were afraid and you, you, you texted me in a, in a mild panic that you had read the wrong book to jump us into the Jurassic Park three novelization discussion. If you had read the wrong book, would you still have felt enriched? What did you think of this book in general? Uh, I thought it was fine. I was only disappointed that it was a fairly straightforward retelling of the film, only because I had uh, these expectations that it was going to be something more, something, you know, a little side story, uh, you know, get into the mind of Eric, uh, like I've always wanted to do. 
Um, so I was a little let Missed down. Out. Yeah, I was a little let down. I was like, oh, okay, that was just the movie, but that's fine because I like the movie. I think that the movie is great. I would argue, I think, that it's the best Jurassic Park sequel. Uh, it, I don't know, maybe controversial. I I, I think it is Very more... controversial. Well, I, I mean, it's definitely in the top three Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> the I, Kingdom yes. no, 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 fell. No, no, no. Sequel, I said. It, it, it's, it's not as good as the first Jurassic Park movie, but I do think it's better than The Lost World, which is really... Um, I don't know. It's it's just a bummer, isn't it? Isn't the whole thing? No one wants to be there. No one's having fun. Uh, where and and it takes forever for anything to get going. Whereas you flip on Jurassic Park three, and fifteen minutes in, you are at the island, and immediately everyone is being chased by dinosaurs. I mean, even in the original Jurassic Park, it's about the uh, forty-five minute mark before we even see one. Or no, aside from the uh, opening, "Welcome to Jurassic Park," brachiosaurus thing. But it, sure. a, a scary dinosaur. It's it's almost an hour in, and this is right like from the get-go. Like, oh yeah, this is a sleek ninety minutes. You are. It's just going to be dinosaur chases around this island, and then everyone's going to get rescued and they'll be fine. So I like that, and I've always thought that as a result. The third film is, it feels like a junior novelization already. It feels like a dumbed down, like, okay, we're just going to show you your favorite parts of the other movies. And they do. And so uh, I I think that it is very appropriate that this has a junior novelization. (laughs) No need for an adult novelization at all. Well, I think you touch on a good point that this movie is a lot more fun uh, and even though I love the Lost World, I think there's a lot to offer in the Lost World. It's it's fun, and I think it's it's weird that this book doesn't credit it because Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor mm-hmm. co-wrote this movie, and I think added almost all of the humor. I think the action and the set pieces were in place, but they fleshed out the characters and added the stuff. And I'm like, man, maybe it's just a little. I I don't know if it's nostalgia goggles or something, but I find the sort of interpersonal stuff that's going on here compelling. And yeah, like it's it's over before you know it, and it's a, it's a fun watch, and it was an easy read. Yeah, it has like four really good set pieces, kind of all in a row. I love that it's ninety minutes. I like the characters fine. I used to hate this movie so much, and every time I watch it, I like it more and more. It grows on me. I mean, I saw it in a movie theater, and when the plane is spinning, it made me so nauseous I had to leave the theater. <laughs> then I re-entered the theater at the moment when the raptor pulls that mean trick on Taylor Leone, and it scared me so bad I had to leave the theater again. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a poor, poor Michael Jeter. It has taken me a while to like get on board with Jurassic Park three, but now I'm here. I'm into it. I like it. And given how bad I think Jurassic World is and how much Fallen Kingdom is also terrible. This movie just looks awesome in comparison. I'm like, this is the best version of what we could have. I want 10 of these, none of the Jurassic Worlds. Do we think the third Jurassic World film will address uh, like the continuity of Laura Dern and Sam Neill in this movie? If Laura Dern's husband, Mark, is not in Jurassic World 3. He works for the State Department. I'll be pretty mad. Or her kids. Yeah, I want to see her kids grown up. I saw the trailer for the new Jurassic World movie a few weeks ago, and I was a little insulted that it has this moment in it that is this real, like, you know, uh, uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern lock eyes as if they haven't seen each other since they got off the helicopter after that first Hammond ride, you know, that, uh, after that first weekend on the island, and it's just this moment of, like, Ellie, Alan, and then I'm thinking... 
wait a minute, you're friends. Aren't, aren't you like the godfather <laughs> to Yeah, you go over for, to dinner. and yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm already out on this stupid third Pratt movie. I'm so furious that I'm going to have to see it because I want to see those three characters. We're doing an episode again. on it, so you're you're oh, seeing yeah. it. This well, is coming great. out on the day the movie comes out, and then we're doing an episode on it like a week later. Okay, thanks for the heads up. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, like I don't want to see another Jurassic World. They're terrible, but I love Alan. I love Ellie. I love Ian Malcolm. I want to see them hanging out again. Oh, okay. We I have a couple things to weigh in on that we've like just blown through so <laughs> first of all the lost world very good uh yeah, what yeah, are you talking good, about it. like super good <laughs> and i think that there's this unfortunate convergence with the third movie which i do like uh I, there's an unfortunate convergence of two elements which makes it make it feel kind of chintzy which is first off the accelerated pace like yes it's cool that they're just in jeopardy right away but the second thing is that they're ramping up like CGI as opposed to practical effects. And those two things together really make it feel like some episode of Jurassic Park, the TV show, where it's like, yeah. we get in here, we've got a lower budget, we got to get right into the action, then we move on to the next thing. The plot is like breakneck. And also, I think that the movie suffers from... Like, it's just all dinosaur attacks. And towards the end, yeah. it's just, we got out of a situation that was really bad. Now we're in another rough one. Oh, we got out of that. Now we're in another rough one. And towards the end of this film, I always end up thinking, always, I've watched it twice. I always end up thinking, you know, <laughs> why, what is the shape of this movie? What is this movie actually about? Right. Because it eventually just turns into like a scarathon. I mean, the movie is missing what the other two movies have, which is human villains. Yes. Like, I don't think Jurassic Park necessarily needs human villains, but this movie is lacking someone who is, like, has bad intentions. Yes. Everyone, all of our characters have good intentions. Now, Hannah, there is that guy, <laughs> and there's that guy in the back of the plane who, ooh, th this guy's up to no good. He knocks out Alan on the plane, and then he he's gets out eaten immediately. He, oh, that's <laughs> right. He gets eaten before we even know his name. I can't take any of the mercenaries seriously because they're all played by, like, seasoned theater actors. <laughs> I mean, they do cut to the guy who's sitting in the back of the plane, and he's wearing sunglasses, and he has a goatee. And I feel like the movie wants you to say, like, is that Steven Seagal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would not. kill to have Seagal <laughs> in a Jurassic Park film, especially if it was today. <laughs> Andrew, I think, I think the analog in another movie series to Jurassic Park 3 is Tremors 3. Mm. which is mm. a movie that feels much lower scale, but is in that sort of 2000, 2001 era where they are relying more on CG. And I think the CG in this movie is not bad. It's more mixed. Like there are shots where a CG Raptor is next to a practical Raptor and they don't look terrible together. But then there's, I think the more iconic shot of the Brachiosaur sort of coming down towards camera when they're <laughs> on the boat. Yeah. That looks God awful. I think whenever the CG dinosaurs fight each other, it looks pretty stinking bad. <laughs> but they still have some puppets. I'd say, yeah, it feels like there are more practical puppets in this one than any of the new ones, certainly. And then um, I, I dare say uh, 
uh, Lost World Part Two uh, has the the compies, which are the big physical thing. Like it's you know they're they're there, you can see them. But other than that, it seems like they ditched so many of the uh, robots for that one. Although admittedly, it's been a little while since. It looks a lot better though, and it just might be yeah, a budget it was thing. Not like Spielberg brings Yanush. the money, you know. Um, and Joe Johnson, who I think does a nice job with the movie, like it's a perfectly well directed. Joe Johnson's a good movie. director. He's a yeah. He's a, he has a pretty reliable track record. Rocketeer. But yes, I think the the th- the first one there's enough hesitancy, and it was shot by Dean Cundey, so it looks great. And obviously, Yanish Kaminsky on the second one is a madman, and we love him, mm-hmm. and it it just works in its weird weird way. Yeah, Johnny, mm. you you sort of uh, alluded to how you were excited about this book being an Eric Kirby book, and then it turned out to just be a movie book, which I Alan get. Grant book. It's di- it's disappointing, but going into it thinking that it was a movie book, as I did, I thought this was a pretty wild little novelization, where the author was just, as I said in the intro, just being like, uh, yeah, I've got a punch-up for every single line from the movie. Oh, sorry, he's also doing the, the junior novelization thing, where, like, there's some gnarly shit in this movie, and he's glossing over it in such a way that, like... I was actually kind of impressed rewatching the movie after I read the book and being like, oh, right, that horrific thing happens. Yes. Right, yeah, right. There are multi- there are at least two neck breaks in oh, Jurassic Park 3. I hate it. I think it does not occur in any, any other movie in this series. I hate it more than anything in the world. Not something I think a dinosaur should do or know how to do or think about doing. I hate it. I hate it in all movies, but I hate it the most here. In the book, a character walks in and is like, the raptor set a pretty nasty trap for us. Like that whole yep. thing happens off page. It's Thank an anecdote. God. It's an anecdote. <laughs> I couldn't handle reading that incident. It is so upsetting. This one's not nearly as cleaned up as the uh, junior novelization of the original film that we read, though, which really, that one centralizes Tim and Lex as the heroes of the story. They're everywhere. It really just ignores any of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, terror and flavor of that film. Uh, And, you know, even giving, like, the, the Malcolm lines to the kids or omitting them altogether. This at least hits all the beats and, you know, misses a few little things in between, a few small details, and a few odd details. It's like, wait, why don't we have the recurring bit about Billy's lucky backpack and stuff like that? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, it, uh, you know, I, I thought as a junior novelization, it, uh, it, it was more comprehensive than your average, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that we've read so far, at least, of the juniors. And it manages to m- maintain all of the poop. Yes. Yes. But it does cut out all of the really, like, go-hard lines about, like, this is what it looks like when you play God, <laughs> uh, which rock in the movie. I will say, and Andrew can attest to this, Jurassic Park Adventures Survivor doubles down on the number two. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it. I, I just want to hit a couple of these because they're quick. A couple of these little plus-ups that the author does that are just basically completely unnecessary. is like, in the movie... Uh, William H. Macy, when he's found out to be a guy who owns a bathroom tiling place, is like, I'll find a way to pay, I promise. And in the book, he's like, I mortgaged everything I had to do it, to pay you half, even the store. And if we make it off this island with my son, I swear I'll make good on the money I owe you. It's like, okay, like you added a little, but like, it's so little, I don't know how much it adds. And then there's like- But they take out something in that scene. What do they take out? Because, well, Michael Jeter's character- is basically just a booking agent. He's not yeah. actually a mercenary. Not in the and book. I think that's such 
one because it's Michael Jeter and who would believe him as a mercenary. <laughs> but I think it is such a fun little touch in that scene where they're like, you said get an expert. And he's like, yeah, I didn't say kidnap someone. Like, I think there's some fun playfulness that colors that character mm-hmm. that maybe kids just wouldn't understand. That's maybe too so much subtlety, yeah. And um, also, like, pairing that reveal where, like, Paul Kirby is like, I'm not an adventurer. And this guy's like, well, I'm not a mercenary. We're all were the up shit's creek mercenaries? here. Who knows? I, I they looked kind of like mercenaries. <laughs> They've got muscles. Yeah, the first one to get it on the beach, like, he seems to be the, you know, albeit a uh, a bad one, but, like, the hero guy, the one who is going to save the day, and he is taken out right away. Like, but he, you know, he has that look, evil goatee, sure, but, you know, he's got the guns, he's got the vest, and he, this guy clearly means business. But you know. I mean, it's, a couple things this movie does that are less in the book is they both set up like these tough mercenaries are going to fight the dinosaurs and kill all the dinosaurs and immediately they don't and immediately the guy who like is supposed to be very tough steps out in front of the plane and is like sobbing and it's horrific and then they also are like remember the villain from the first movie the t-rex well our new villain is going to beat the shit out of her and kill her (laughs) a thing i hate when movies do i was so mad when i saw that in the theater as you know when this came out i it's like wait 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 wait. a neck break which i fucking hate just bite her to death I'm sorry. I'm going to stop complaining about neck breaks and yeah, you had Park. more things you wanted to touch. I, I got on. a sorry, lot of I, a lot of these little plus ups. So obviously, I think we should talk about Billy in general. But this book, um, and I could be misremembering. This could be in the film, but I didn't clock it. This book telegraphs his sort of desire to have more fame or to have more money or whatever. Where he's talking to Alan at one point. And he's, like, talking about, isn't this interesting? Like, this is this way with dinosaurs, but we expected it was different. And Alan goes, uh, this is not the time to have a paleontological discussion about the social patterns of raptors. But I thought we might collaborate on a paper, Billy said. Right. The first rule of academics. Publish or perish. And it's like, okay. Uh, there is definitely an ellipsis after publish. There is. You did not accent. <laughs> there is. But, like, the 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 thing is that the book is giving a little more shading to Billy that maybe it's from the script. Maybe it's something that got cut. There's a couple moments like this, but it's interesting. It's like, that's actually a plus up that seems to have a purpose. It's like, this guy's going to do something fucked up at some point and let's show that he's at least got ideas. Yeah. I mean, the relationship is more vague in the film in that we know he is a paleontologist of some kind. He's clearly much younger, but this novel makes it clear that he's an adjunct professor. He's referred to as, his assistant, whenever they don't want to say Billy, when they want to make the language seem more interesting flowery, they just say Alan's assistant or the mercenary and his assistant. And that's never made you know clear in the film itself. You just know that they work together and he sees him as some sort of mentor figure. And yeah, right. maybe they're dating. Maybe. Oh, they are dating. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds to me like Hannah wants to write another spinoff to the series. No, I just think that like... Um... <laughs> They have like kind of ins- like weird chemistry and very like for the first like t- the 10 minutes we're not on the island whenever someone's like hey Alan can we do this thing Billy's like yeah we'll do that thing we're in this together we're a team we're a pair we're going to dinner together and then there's one moment where Alan like takes off his hat and puts his arm around Billy's shoulder to put his hat down which just feels very intimate to me I'm going to step off this topic but I'm just saying when, I will <laughs> say when they're at the restaurant uh listening to some randy newman which i own this soundtrack i listen to that song a lot big hat no cattle uh they do order the same drink Hmm. goals 
I mean, it's cheaper to get a pitcher, but okay. <laughs> I think they order ice picks. What is an ice pick? I think it's like alcohol and iced tea is the concept. Andrew, tell us about some of the bold new concepts in the Jurassic Park 3 novelization. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've just got, I, I've got so many notes for this book. I, I was surprised by how many I had. But or... apparently of the two of us who read Jurassic Park Adventures Survivor, I was more taken with it. I like it. And I, I have a couple things from that book. My, my issue with Jurassic Park Adventures number one Survivor. And by the way, it is our vow on the authorized podcast to read every tertiary tome for any movie series entitled Survivor. We picked <laughs> two and we're going to do them all. So um, I, I it, it had the issue that I felt like the movie had where Survivor really just feels like Eric fights dinosaurs, Eric fights different dinosaurs, Eric runs from dinosaurs, there's a dinosaur over there. It's like, it's necessarily very plotless um, in a yeah. way that I couldn't really sink my teeth into. Well, we know here where he is at the beginning of the movie and where we find him halfway through the movie, and they have to get him to those points. But yeah, it is a lot of... I, I'm As much as Alan Grant in the movie says, I can't believe you survived eight weeks... I can't believe it because the shit he goes through in Jurassic Park Adventure Survivor is so much more intense. I would have thought he would have just hidden for a couple weeks, maybe had a few run-ins with dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. He is literally using a crowbar on raptors. He befriends an iguanodon because I guess they were writing this book after the success of the Disney film Dinosaur. Oh, yes, all the about success. Hey, I saw it. I was there. <laughs> I saw you it, too. You know you were there but that doesn't make it successful. It just has so much more dinosaur interactions than you would expect. Do you remember in the film when Alan Grant says, where did you get this dinosaur, Pete? Okay, I was just about to ask this. My my yes. number one question is, he says, where did you get this T-Rex, Pete? And he says, you know, Eric says, you don't want to know. Uh, here's the thing, I really want to know, and I can't believe that this movie is only 94 minutes, and they don't you know, make it 96 minutes just to tell us <laughs> how he got this pee. Uh, so Andrew, do you want to tell? No, Marco, I think you should take this because uh, all I remember is that the book has him observe that piss is a good thing to have, but the book is also afraid to call it urine. <laughs> sure. So there are many instances in the book where Eric comes upon a sleeping dinosaur. And in this case, it's like a resting or ill T-Rex and he, uh, you know, gets up into the trees, as he often does, and some raptors come from all angles and murder this T-Rex. It's, it's relatively vicious, considering how tame these books are. What are raptors doing fucking with T-Rexes anyway? The raptors right, in Survivor are just, like, complete sociopaths. They do, <laughs> they are agents of chaos. They do anything to anyone at any time. Even without Chris Pratt to train them? Yeah, they're even seeking out candy bars, though, in this book. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so at a certain point, I think he witnesses a raptor after this attack, sees some pee, and is like, Ugh, and runs away. <laughs> and he's like, ah, pee. I'll put that in this jar, because he's very resourceful. He's like a character in a video game. Just like mm -hmm. picking up items, checking different rooms for different things. He's... Again, it's like the movie's sort of just like, you know, our kids were resourceful. You remember how hard it was to ground him? This novelization, tertiary tome, is suggesting like 
No, he's like Rambo. He like is like, <laughs> well, I have to look for this, that, the other thing. I'm going to try to turn on a generator. He finds maps. He finds banana trees. We learn there are other non-dinosaur animals like sloths on the island. There's a lot going on that Andrew is not even willing to touch on. I think that the book Survivor does a really good job of explaining that Eric is this smart kid who knows a lot about dinosaurs, which they say in the movie, but it really shows that, like, his knowledge helped him survive. I think both books do that, and I also think the Jurassic Park 3 novelization is so obviously written by a guy who wrote an Eric Kirby book. He literally <laughs> pays off stuff in the novelization that happens in Survivor, like the the raptor claw, but... There's that moment in the... She just takes from a raptor. Well, it's a good like section. Like he cuts his toe off, or... I'll, I'll read that at like some point. Like it falls off the raptor. This is a question I had, because in the Jurassic Park 3 novelization, they make a point that he has it like, mine's fresh, and he says it in such a way that Alan's like, oh, Jesus, this kid is fucked up. And Eric has to be like, oh, damn, I need to work on being a human boy again. <laughs> Which really struck me. You don't get yeah. that in the movie. It, one interesting thing, though, he says that the... The P scares away all the dinosaurs except the Spinosaurus. He says the one with the sail. I don't believe, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, in Jurassic Park Adventures number one, Survivor, I don't think the Spinosaurus Aegypticus appears. I did note that in, I think, both the novelization and the film, Eric refers to the Spinosaurus as the one with the sail a few times. But then, even before... Alan Grant says it's a Spinosaurus. He calls it a Spinosaurus. I don't know. I'm nitpicking. But, like, I, I did have a moment of, like, wait, do you know things about dinosaurs or do you not? You suddenly know the name of this dinosaur. Uh, but Well, he knows it wasn't on InGen's list. Yes. Which I guess everyone just has InGen's list memorized. No, no. He's a, he's a dinosaur kid. He's, yeah, like, like, obsessed with Grant. That That's okay. He loves, he loves dinos. What I was originally going to say about the JP3 novelization is that he has that moment where he at the end, is in the giant birdcage and he falls into the river and he just immediately goes like, oh no, pterodactyls get their prey by scooping them up from the river. So I'm like, especially in a bad way now. And I like that stuff. It's like this kid, yeah, he's a kid, but he's, as kids do, he has like a kid passion. I could see this also happening in a book where a kid went to an island with like, you know, uh, sentient evil fire trucks. They'd be like, I know everything about fire trucks. I'm a child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, but he, it's, it even goes to a further extent in Survivor where he is explaining because the velociraptors in Jurassic Park are not accurate to velociraptors in real life. That's a pretty well known thing. They're closer to Utah raptors. <laughs> yeah, he spends an entire page basically saying, the velociraptors at Jurassic Park were more like this dinosaur, actually. The real velociraptor, it's like very like, well, actually, yeah. for a whole page, just to kind of be like, we know that we messed up. I we mean, a that thing we messed up. that I appreciate in Jurassic Park 3, the movie, which is not present in the book, is there's that scene where Alan is giving a lecture and then has to say, like, they are not dinosaurs. They are genetically engineered monsters. Mm -hmm. Nothing about them is accurate to what dinosaurs like what we don't we can't know that and it, it isn't possible. And I think that is 100% what Jurassic Park the franchise forgets when they're like, we got to make them more scientifically accurate. What if our dinosaurs had feathers? And I'm like, feathers ain't scary, guys. I know it's accurate. 
but you have genetically engineered frog dinosaurs, so they don't have to look correct. Yeah. Just let them look scary. I know that Alan Grant has like his guns and he's going to stick to them, but like, dude, you're about to run out of money. Just answer two hours of Jurassic Park questions. <laughs> you think Bruce Campbell wants to talk about the Evil Dead for four hours? No, but he doesn't. He gets paid a lot of money. So Alan, please perfect comparison. appease these college students because they are walking out. His presentation is boring. I would have walked out. I, yes. I have both relevant um, Raptor Claw passages if you guys are ready. Oh, yes. I have one thing I want to say about boring Alan Grant. Uh-huh. After I got into Jurassic Park as a child, my mom got me Jack Horner's book, who is the paleontologist uh-huh. that Alan Grant is based on, and I tried to read it, and it was too fucking boring. All these children <laughs> in Jurassic Park who are like, I read your book, Dr. Grant, and I'm like, how? They're so dry! <laughs> I don't know. He's like telling that kid in the first movie about how like the raptor's gonna gut him like a fish like <laughs> you think alan grant's books might be more fun <laughs> yeah he's like a stephen king of <laughs> okay overby please hit us with those raptor claws okay so here's the raptor claw passage from survivor and then the raptor claw passage from uh jurassic park 3 the first one suddenly the raptor leader sprang in front of me it hissed and growled so loudly that i hit the trigger of the stunner he has like a stun gun before it was even in range Nothing happened. It jumped at me, and I swung the stunner at it. The weapon connected, and one final charge ripped along its barrels. Crackling white-hot energy hit the raptor, and it went down. The other raptors stopped before they reached me. They looked at their leader, who lay still at my feet. I grabbed another canister of gas, primed it, and lobbed it at the startled predators. It exploded, and they scattered. As the cloud of gas drifted my way, I saw something on the ground. The raptor's sickle claw, broken clean off. I grabbed it and headed down the valley. So that happens. He gets it in like a fight with multiple raptors. It, at that point, he has found like a safe house. He doesn't house. have to do anything gnarly to that raptor to get it, though, which is what I had presumed from the passage in Jurassic Park 3. Um, There's a... a shocks it. Yeah, there's a good amount of heat. violence with these raptors. He's, he's, he's in a I bad way. I kind of thought he would like take a knife and like cut its little toe off and be like, See? Yeah, I mean, he, he executes its children in front of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but then we jump to the Jurassic Park 3 novelization. This is Eric showing Dr. Alan Grant the raptor claw. He goes, know what this is? Alan examined the sharp edge, three-inch law, sickle-shaped object. A raptor claw. I used to have one. A fossil. Eric grinned, remembering exactly how he had gained this prize. Mine's new. <laughs> Alan looked at him strangely and handed back the claw as if he were placing his fingers near the mouth of a very dangerous animal. Eric took in the scientist's discomfort and felt ashamed of the feral pride he'd shown only a moment before. It's going to be all right, Eric told himself. He had to force himself to evolve from the wild survivor he had become into a human being once more. He had to. It would break his heart to have his mom or dad look at him the way Dr. Grant just had. <laughs> pretty good i mean evolving is a big theme in these novels and this one in particular i didn't particularly love the shame that is sort of instantly foisted on eric for uh bragging that he has a fresh raptor claw and heaven knows how he got it i know two out of the four of us here have no idea uh but (laughs) 
but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, that should be a cool story. And yeah, you should be allowed to brag if you get a fresh raptor claw because you survived an attack. I don't know. I, I felt bad for poor little Eric. I think it's in the delivery. I think the way he says it is yeah. like feral. Well, <laughs> certainly in your delivery, Andrew. <laughs> Trevor Morgan's delivery in the film is a lot more like, no, mine's real. Like, it's like, I, I actually like got this here. Like, it's like as if he wouldn't believe that or something. I mean, Eric in the book comes across as like really having a hard time readjusting to being with other people. And in the movie, he's just like, yay, friends. Like he's he's doing okay, you know? It's the vibe I get. Can we touch on briefly, one of my favorite aspects of both these books is the way in which dinosaur vocalizations are written. I don't even know how to pronounce some of them when I read them because the thing they choose I don't know if it's he had not seen the movie when he wrote these books or not seen the prior movies I don't think the raptor vocalization is anything like the way the raptors speak it's like a a hiss more than it is like a caca caca like it has more of a bird call sound in the films mm-hmm. well and it's, I, I found sort of a lost opportunity and it's a completely different sound in this movie than it ever was before for plot reasons it always annoyed me in that little dinner scene that alan has with ellie in the at the beginning of the film where he says to her like do you remember the sounds that they made i have this new theory that they talk to each other and they you know and, and i'm thinking well i remember the sounds they made and they're certainly not the sounds that they make now i mean you're you're really reaching to uh sell your theory and to make that a major plot point i do love how the voice box which you kind of blow into like a kazoo but at the end of the movie it's sort of implied that alan is saying help me and it's translated because <laughs> you hear him sort of going help me but then it goes like on top of it it's very there strange. is a funny aspect of like he starts making the like help me sounds and the other raptors are like what what's yes what is this it's like when you talk back to your cat and it's like that's not right what are you doing yeah Um, but we don't all have 3d printed voice boxes for our cats that was my next question is did this movie invent 3d printing i i had never seen this before where it's like hey look i just made this 3d replica of the uh, raptor's voice box and i can now blow it and talk like a raptor it is funny that they don't call it 3D printing. They have like a whole It's a polymer printer for but it make real things. <laughs> you know printer make flat things, but these real. Yeah, I have a question about just the movie in general and we sort of touched on this earlier, but why do the dynamic between Sam Neill and Laura Dern? Why do that? I mean, I understand she doesn't really want to be in the movie probably. So, she just wants to be in like 10 minutes of it. They use that 10 minutes well, she's there to establish them, and then she saves the day at the end, but why not bring her back as we're married and I'm going on a solo adventure? I love you so much, just as I did. he has to lie about it? Yeah, that he would have to lie about it to do it. I like Hannah's theory that he's in love with Billy and that (laughs) this shipping of Alan and Ellie that we have been obsessed with since the first movie, there's a really good reason why they don't end up together. And I like beyond not wanting kids. Here's the thing. Here's my theory. I think so. Jurassic Park two is an Ian Malcolm adventure. Jurassic Park three is an Alan Grant adventure. And I think if Jurassic Park three had been like a movie that people loved, Jurassic Park four would have been an Ellie Sadler adventure Mm, where she gets her own loose boyfriend separate from 
her core Would group five of friends. have been a tim and lex adventure i hope so because <laughs> that's the thing is they bring them back in two for no reason yeah just i to think say they, just, they had a good cast the first time around and they want to bring them back. I think they were fan favorites. It was a little something for the kids. It's like, we don't have, like, you what know, we have Jeff Goldblum's gymnast daughter. But, like, you know, kids are going to want to see Tim and Lex again. So here they are, kids, and there they go. I was just going to say that, like, a lot of Alan's development in this is, like, he has to evolve and, like, move into the future. And you get the sense that in the same way in the first movie, Ellie is like, you do like kids. You do want kids. If you want to be with me, that's a thing that we need to figure out. I get the sense that somewhere in their relationship, she was like, you are stuck in the past and that is not going to work for me. Right. So she moved on and she found Mark who works at the State Department and has a nice life now. And he couldn't get past that. And he has to have this adventure to move into a place where I guess 20 years later, maybe they'll smooch because her husband fell in a pit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. They'll write out Mark. The makers of this film did not anticipate that there would be a brilliant perfect trilogy called Jurassic World, like 20 <laughs> years hence. Um, I haven't seen any of them. As I often say, I would like to sort of like consider the object as itself. And it is just incomprehensible to me. I'm not satisfied with anyone's answer that was just provided. It is incomprehensible to me that like a Spielberg universe has like intentionally has them separated. So Hannah, just to jump into a completely unrelated property for a second. You and I are big Justified fans. The end of Justified, they very deliberately are like, this man we've been following is too volatile. And like the relationship that maybe you thought he would end up in, he did not. And it's like a very prescient observation about the character, which is like, There's let's- one person who can really love him, and that person is in prison. Right. And it's like, let's be real. Like, we get that he has love for this woman, but they wouldn't be a good couple. And it's like, that's a character choice. Why in Jurassic Park, which is very much like a family franchise, do you end a movie saying, oh my God, he learned something about love and life and now the relationship's going to be better, and then say it didn't work out when you could just as easily say it's currently working out and he's got to go do a solo adventure? I don't get it at all. I mean, he is 20 years older than her. Perhaps that. Perhaps it is simply reverse engineered out of the solution to get off the island. How do we get them off the island? Okay, maybe Alan calls Ellie. How can Ellie help him? Uh, she's married to a guy at the State Department. Hmm. Right. Couldn't it just be her brother or something? They're having dinner with her brother. But then you wouldn't get the scene where the, the he tells the kid that the herbivores don't eat each other. That's cute. That scene is kind of great. It's so good. Uh, Really I, I love to see him still awkwardly be overly sciencey. I do think the book includes a scene where we do get a conversation on the, the cellular phone with Ellie and Alan at the end, mm -hmm. in which she's sort of because she in the book, the the dinner is basically cut from the book, and they have their entire conversation at the car, and she says like you need to evolve, and so they get to have a nice sort of bookend on that scene at the end of the novel. Where she's like, what were you doing here? What, blah, 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 blah. And he says, I was evolving. And I think that is nice and compelling. And yeah, the movie needs more Laura, Laura Dern. She's great. She's doing as much as she can with essentially nothing. Mm -hmm. And she still feels exactly like that character. I also think Sam Neill does a really good job of maintaining his character, maintaining his shaky accent. And like <laughs> it, I think that's what works about it is that he has this frustration throughout the movie of like, 
I don't know why you pulled me in. I have nothing to do with this island. I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to figure out my life. I love that moment. There's two islands with dinosaurs. He's like, this isn't the one I went to. And they're like, you're telling me there's two. And he's like, yes, <laughs> which is funny. But also it's like, do you watch the news? This is it's funny also, exhaustively like, covered. Ian Malcolm got back from his second dinosaur adventure and didn't write a book about that one. Mm-hmm. Only wrote a book about the first one. <laughs> he's not a Gail Weathers, that's for sure. Uh, can we talk a little bit about Andrew's favorite part of the movie? Uh, the Jeff Goldblum parasailing section in the aviary. Uh, so w- the whole sequence where they're in the aviary, which I think is a great set piece yeah, of the movie. Absolutely. Um, there's a little, basically at the end when they escape through the gate, there's, as there are throughout the movie several times, like there's a part when they're in the lab and they're like, what was InGen creating here? That's never addressed. What else wasn't on Jin- InGen's list? Never addressed. The Spinosaurus and the Pterodons. Yeah. They're surprise dinosaurs. Which I would, why would you be surprised that they would not have pterodons? I'm not sure. But in the movie, they don't close the gate correctly. And there's a little shot where like the gate opens and you're like, what's going to happen? And at the end of the movie, we do see the, the pterodons flying away. Nice little shot of their booties as they fly off into the sunset. But the, the book has a whole scene in which they interact. Does someone want to break that down? It weirdly like goes into the perspective of a dinosaur for the only time in the book. The giant pterodon who had been cheated of the prize she had taken to feed her young stood on the shore, staring at the iron gate. She stalked towards it slowly, some instinct telling her that this familiar section of her world had changed in some small but vital way. Is this what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. She nudged at the gate and heard a sharp, tinny sound that startled her. With an angry caw, she leaped back, her wings striking the gates as she fought to keep from falling. Then she saw it. The gate hung an inch ajar. The shiny bar the prey had used to secure it in place was dangling helplessly. She pushed at the gate and it moved again, again. The door opened and the predator stepped through into an unsuspecting world. The food would be hers again. No one was going to cheat her hatchlings. No one. (laughs) And this pays off. This is not just they then escape. Ahead of the sequence where they are running to the beach and the raptors, you know, come back for the eggs, the pterodons attack them. Is it true? And then the raptors attack the pterodons. It's a whole convoluted sequence that I'm sort of glad did not make it to the movie because I like the sort of weird Mexican standoff hostage situation with the raptors and the eggs that happens. And it's so much more grounded. It feels so more straightforward than having flying dinosaurs minutes after we already had flying dinosaurs yeah and that these dinosaurs would be like there's an island full of prey here but i want those human beings um that that level of like malicious sentience i have a hard time um when jurassic park tries to put that on the dinosaurs i usually have a hard time feeling like that's realistic or that i like it (laughs) right sure i like it more when they are just animals and like the force of nature that is animals is something dangerous and frightening and in need of respect so uh at one point during the pterodon sequence uh eric throws a skull what character from the lost world skull do we think that is Ooh, is it peter stormare uh it would make sense because this is around the time that the compies show up at his little uh his little uh uh uh, van or a uh, uh, gas tank. Yeah. Thing. So yeah, yeah, but compies uh, in, in the same area. They like water. 
Uh, there, but he, he, what? He's by the little stream. Yeah, but it makes sense. It could also be Richard Schiff. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to remember who died on the island in Dread. I mean, Richard Schiff Dread gets Park. sort of torn apart, presumably, you know, and each eaten. half swallowed by another uh, T Rex. <laughs> but you know, skulls come back of poop, as we learn. You are so correct that that's a character from the Lost World, and it didn't. But how could it be? Because the pterodons are enclosed. We see a pterodon at the end of the Lost World just flying freely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's the last shot of the movie. And, mm. you know, and again, the, the, it's the only logical uh, answer to who eats the people on the boat. I mean, the boat is not close enough to the island that a, a you know, a, a raptor could jump onto the boat or a... Could a, it be the Spinosaurus? I mean, what, just leans down, picks it up, and the fog conceals it so well? I, I don't know. I've had this question for 21 years. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever be answered. I feel like we're really shortchanging Billy in this conversation. I would love to talk more about Billy. Yeah, no one here is a Billy enthusiast, are they? I love Billy. If we're talking oh, about the cage. I rescued your hat. He did. Also, where does, when does Alan lose his hat? I never Right, yeah, I didn't catch insane. that either. <laughs> All right, let's get into the birdcage. 1996, <laughs> Mike Nichols decides to remake... La Caja Fold, it w- starring Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. It's a great film. It's got some great Sondheim songs. Let's get into it. It would be amazing if when he got his hat back, Alan reached up to his head as if to be like, I'm not wearing it. Um, <laughs> Billy Detour. Since we're at the birdcage, we're already at the point where he redeems himself. So let's talk about Billy since. In the movie, as I said before, he steals raptor eggs and it's not really set up in any way it's just like oh this is my good friend slash lover billy and then like it turns out that he did a bad thing and then alan grant's really mad at him so they telegraph it a little bit and then the way in which the raptor eggs come to light is completely different in this novelization because in the in the uh, in the uh, movie it's just like oh why are they chasing us And he's like oh it might be because of this shit and in the book (laughs) Uh, Alan Grant somehow ends up with the bag that has the eggs in it, but he doesn't know. He hasn't looked. He's just carrying his friend's bag. And Billy catches up to him, and and it goes, Hold on, Billy said, grabbing his mentor's arm. I want to tell you that I'm so sorry. I could have gotten you killed. I know that. It was stupid. Alan just stared at his student. A few feet away, Paul, Amanda, and Eric heard the strain in Billy's voice and turned to listen. Please, just yell at me. Call me an idiot. I know I screwed up, continued Billy. Alan's gaze narrowed. He had no idea what his student was talking about, and he had a feeling he didn't want to know. Lowering his head, Billy said in a conspiratorial whisper, What did you do with them? With what? asked Alan. Billy, what are you talking about? Billy finally seemed to realize that Alan wasn't following. He didn't know. He hadn't looked in the camera bag. A classic, the goldfinch, you never looked? Classique. Feel like I just had that's a for me. That was massive for me goldfinch for me. spoiler. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done my Ansel deep dive yet, Hannah. I'm not saying you should, but <laughs> Hannah, I need to have a pure experience of a movie that I once heard described as a love letter to the permanence of objects. Sounds like the most boring shit I've ever heard. Anyway. Alan opened Billy's camera bag to find a pair of raptor eggs. Both were intact. He'd been carrying them all this time. I just thought if we got a raptor egg back to the mainland, we could study it in a controlled environment. Alan stared at his assistant, unable to accept what Billy had done. Those raptors had stalked him relentlessly for one reason. 
They wanted their stinking eggs. I added the stinking. <laughs> Billy spoke even more quickly. Plus, it would be easy to get money, enough to fund the digging for 10 years, more, whatever it took. Then we go into the, like, you're no better than the guys who made this. Yeah. I think I like it better in the movie, where Billy is just like, it's time for me to take the bag back. I'm done putting you in danger. It's not safe. What I've done is a crime. Right. Sorry. And then Alan's like, you're a monster and I hate you. <laughs> I want to defend Billy. Because I love aside, Billy. Well, no, I'm happy to defend Billy. I'm officially Billy on the Billy a very train. Talented person. Let I Johnny wanted... defend a person no one's attacking. Go, Johnny. <laughs> no, 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 no. I Except want for to. Alan Grant. Yeah, I want to defend Billy's act of taking the eggs because, aside from it endangering them, because the raptors are now tracking them, I say if you wind up on this island. Take a few souvenirs. You're a freaking paleontologist. <laughs> Maybe you do want to study eggs. I'll bet you could get, you know, a lot of knowledge from looking at those eggs. Why not take them? I, I think that it is a totally acceptable move. There's so many other things you could take. I don't sure. know. Like, you know that raptors are mean and vengeful. You know that they have, like, a social structure. Wouldn't you think maybe they'd want their goddamn eggs back? And also, you get a raptor home, and what is it? Your pet? That thing's gonna fucking eat you. Oh, Hannah, that's a great idea. A pet raptor. I mean, I, I don't know, like, if we could make a movie in which someone had a pet raptor who's, like, really nice to him, has a little name, you know, I don't know, a, a brown, green, blue, something like that. And then... Like, he does tricks, and he does, you know, he does what his daddy says. I mean, I think you could milk that concept for what? three movies. Bringing right up there. baby <laughs> raptor. Johnny, I've got, I've got a great idea, Johnny. What if, at one point, the raptor and his, his owner, they went on, like, a motorcycle ride together? You know, that would be fun. You know, it's a little, little daddy raptor ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that we <laughs> I, have I'd something. I have no that. idea what's happening right now. You will, Andrew. You will. You oh know. no! Oh no! <laughs> I was hoping you were talking about an unrelated comedy. Uh, it's not supposed to be a comedy, but it certainly plays like one. Guys, w speaking of the eggs being stolen, when Grant dangles the eggs over the crevasse, I was like, it's not good that Billy took the eggs, but that's some evil shit. Don't drop raptor eggs like hundreds of feet. Thoughts? Well, they changed that kind of <laughs> moment in the book as well because yes. it's no longer Alan deciding. I have this ready. Oh, yeah, it's it. They take Alan's sort of decision and give it to Paul Kirby. Andrew, take it away. I kind of appreciated that Paul gets a moment of like thoughtful heroism there. I love Paul Kirby. This is a He's great Paul book. Kirby. I just want to say, and <laughs> and Ciencen does a really good job of giving characters that go unsung in the movie like nice little moments. So. Yeah, I'm sorry to read so many passages. I just like the book. There's just a lot of good stuff. So, um, which feels totally opposite from the Jurassic Park episode we did in season one, where I was just like, yeah, it's whatever. It was the most bare-bones stuff. Anyway, here we go. So, uh, Alan Grant's about to drop the eggs, commit a horrible double homicide. Paul smiled. Maybe they'll follow us anyway, just for taking them. I've been working in sales my whole life. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that if you've got something the other fellow wants, you don't give it up. Those things may want us dead, but they want those eggs more. That's the only advantage we've got. Alan looked at him closely. Paul Kirby was more than a panicked father, more than a bumbling liar. There was something about this man, something he hadn't seen before. Good book. Yeah, Johnny, I think you're right. I think the... Uh... People at the beginning of the book were murdered by a rival paint and tile <laughs> place because that sounds like some Walter White shit. <laughs> I think uh, I made that joke, but thanks that, for giving it to Johnny. Yeah. 
I I always wondered if uh, the Alexander Payne contribution was that uh, uh, th- that these were just ordinary people, tile salesmen and such, which I it seems so in line with uh, you know oh yeah Alexander Payne's Midwest flavor as opposed right, to but like, he did not allow them to set it in Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. He he had to go to Oklahoma. He could, he had to hide himself because I think that he was intended as a ghostwriter on this, and they're like, hey, you guys want full screenwriting credit? And they were shocked to get it. Well, they knew it was going to be such a massive hit. They wanted that payday, I guess. (laughs) Maybe that's how they got Laura Dern as well, because obviously he had done Citizen Ruth before this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Maybe he made the decision, I worked with Laura. I want to bring her back. She's already in the franchise. Let's throw her in for a couple of days. I don't know. I don't know how much sway he had at this point in his career. And then John Sayles famously writes this Jurassic Park 4 thing that never gets made. But if you ever read that script, it is bonkers, crazy, crazy. Wasn't that human-dinosaur di- hybrids? That it, it has a bit of that. It has dinosaurs with guns killing drug dealers in, uh, in <laughs> Colombia. It's, it's, it's pretty nuts. I mean, this movie is really trying to set up that the raptors are essentially human-level smart. So to then take that to the next step of they are human-level smart, they're part human, now they use guns, I can kind of get it. Bad idea. Terrible idea. I definitely was following the... Go the opposite way. The... Around this time, like from 2001 to 2008, information about they're going to make a Jurassic Park 4, it's going to be weird, it's going to be hybrids. And then, you know, I, I hit a point where I was like... Maybe it's not cool to really love Jurassic Park 3, and maybe I should hide this drawing somewhere far away <laughs> where no one will ever find it. You know, every time, like, in the same way, they're like, oh, aliens. We wish that aliens would come to Earth. That's what we want. You don't want that. You know, it would happen, and it would be awful. In the same way that I think the Jurassic World 3, where they're like, well, now there's dinosaurs all over the planet. That's what you've been asking for, right? No, it's not. I don't want it. It's going to be bad. Bad idea. Poor, poor planning. Boo. No, blue. <laughs> blue. I don't get it. Um, so, <laughs> Marco, uh, should we talk about the detail from Survivor that Eric has a good friend named Eddie? Let's get into Eddie. <laughs> so in the prequel interquel book Survivor, a Jurassic Park story, there are just flashes where uh eric will be like oh yeah my parents were having a lot of trouble in their marriage and i started hanging out with a guy when i was at my lowest and he's kind of fun but blah 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 and they just slowly eke out these details that are like he was in juvie he what else do we get there's one oh we find out that they like have this fun thing where they just like we would just like watch people's houses at night and that's then I found the crazy that he was selling the information to robbers so that they could rob the houses yeah it, so it, what survivor is saying is that this life-changing extremely dangerous horrifying experience just put him back on the straight and narrow basically i i guess <laughs> i don't know what he it learned scared him survivor. straight I don't know what he learns in Survivor because one of his brilliant ideas at the end of the novel Survivor, which really ends kind of anticlimactically, in the final sequence where these raptors have sort of uh, cornered these iguanodons and are kind of picking them off day by day, one by one, he has a buddy, a younger iguanodon named Iggy, that's what he calls him, who has a, a the book jacket of Alan Grant's book glued to his foot. Don't need to explain why that happened. But... He decides, I have gone to the safe house. It's not a, ultimately the place I want to be. 
but I was able to find some sort of like battery generator thing. I'm going to take that with me. It's too heavy. So he decides to tie it to Iggy, the Iguanodon. Yeah, and it really nothing comes of it. Other than he almost kills Iggy and uses his freshly caught raptor claw to cut him free. Yeah, Iggy, it would be something if Iggy died and he was unable to help him. Because there's a whole thing in the novel about him being like, I want to be humane, but this is an inhumane situation. These are animals. They're going to kill each other. They're going to do this. There's nothing I can do. And Iggy should be the example of like, I have to either save myself or save Iggy. I'm going to save myself. Mm-hmm. It needs to have something like that. It does not. He's trying to help some dinosaurs, the ones that eat plants and don't want to kill him. And he gets in a they don't like he him. gets in a big situation where he almost dies. And he thinks to himself, I'd only been trying to help. Another saying of my dad's came to me. No good deed goes unpunished. It should be said that his dad and Ben, the deceased Ben, basically sit upon his shoulders throughout this entire book as, like, God and the devil. Except that what they're doing is going, like, be risky. No. Play things safe. So he goes, I used to think it was a stupid saying, that being good deeds go, no good deed goes unpunished. But it seemed especially true now. This was not a human or humane world. Whatever I did here, my good, human intentions, could have consequences that I could not control or even foresee. Good book. Yeah, I mean, there's good stuff like that, but there's also a sequence in Survivor where he's like, I'm bored hiding. I'm going to go play hockey outside. He's a kid! He's 13. And after about two or three weeks of being like, okay, I haven't died yet, I too think I would be like, I think I can break protocol a little bit. I got this under control. He's hopped up on sugar. He's eating expired things out of a vending machine. Poor kid. The entire thing. Which he's able to just open. (laughs) no no he's he's able to pick the lock because eddie his 'er ne'er-do-well friend told taught him to pick locks (laughs) okay now we know why eddie's in here i mean one of the funnier moments in the movie is paul kirby trying to use a vending machine with coins when that vending machine is like off covered in vines (laughs) like infested by bugs um, and it's just like, anybody have any coins? I want to get uh, something. Macy sells like, it. Say what we will about this movie. It has a caliber, a cast of the same caliber as the other two mm-hmm. of the original trilogy. Whoever made these movies, like they got good people to be in their dinosaur movie. People who are not action movie stars. They got True. character actors at interesting points in their careers. And they just let the movie sort of like the wonder and the terror rely on these people who could actually give it even though there was nothing for them to interact with which is you know and then there's a couple scenes where william h macy is like (sighs) wet or his shirt is off and he looks good does look good yeah he lost 25 pounds he's been swimming at the y (laughs) i thought you didn't know how to swim (laughs) oh that's a whole plot point yeah swim (laughs) i find so good not not in an attraction way though he is very handsome i find nivola very irresistible in basically every role to the point where, like, I am drawn to him in movies where I am supposed to dislike him. Like, the the art of self-defense, where he's, like, the villain. And I'm like, yeah, like, be an evil karate dude. You're so charming. Like, I, I just think he's great. Um, I'm on board with Billy the entire time, and it, like, makes me kind of hate Grant when Grant gets mad at him. I mean, I texted you last night. I think I would like this movie better if Billy was different. Something to that effect. Like... 
prior to watching the movie yesterday. I was like, boo, Billy. I hate Billy. Yeah, and I basically was like hard disagree. I was like, you know, you're right. I do love Billy, actually. Even in the Sopranos movie, like, which is bad, I was like, give this guy a break. He's dealing with so many saints of Newark. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, given your love of Billy, is your favorite movie that Kenneth Branagh loves, Labor's Lost, where it's him, Kenneth Branagh, Matthew Lillard, and Adrian Lester as the four? Here's the thing about Alessandro Nivola. I forget what his face looks like every single time. So I forgot he was in that. He had the yeah, same thing. Nivola has the same thing that what's his name? The actor, Mr. Don't Breathe. The the Don't Breathe man. Stephen Lang. Oh. Stephen Lang. He's got the same thing Stephen Lang has going on, which is like he had an acting career. Like and okay. then he looked one way. And then he like disappeared. And then he came back twenty years later, old and hunk. And it's like oh. hard to imagine that they're the same person. Like, Alessandro Nivola, I'm, uh, maybe this is obvious, maybe we're all thinking this, but he's, you know, uh, Nicolas Cage's brother in Face Off. and It's his film debut as Pollux Troy. And he's amazing in it, but, like, I just think of those in my mind as two different actors. I oh think God. that he decided, not even that long ago, that being the leading man never worked out for him as, as much as he tried and as much as he was like perfectly fine at it. And at a certain point he decided I'm going to be a character actor now. I think the, the real moment so was American hustle. And he's, uh, the, he's like the, 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 is he an FBI boss? Oh, yeah. in there? I remember and he that. is kind of doing Christopher Walken meets young Al Pacino in it. And it's weird, but it also kind of works because it's like, oh, you are doing something very different now. And that's continued with things like Art of Self-Defense and uh, uh, Many Saints of Newark recently, I'd say, is more in that mode. And uh, yeah, I think I like him more than ever now as a result. And you know, he's married to Emily Mortimer, and that's just a couple we can all get behind. Oh, that's yeah, so nice. Absolutely. Anyway, I hope he comes back in Jurassic World 3. Yeah, I would absolutely yeah. watch a Billy movie. Obviously not him alone. Not like a him doing Survivor. But... You know, a, a, a movie where he's pretty central again would, would work for me. Just in general, with two and three, they make friends. Like, our main characters make yeah. new friends. And I want to see those friends again. Sure. I mean, there are so many people alive at the end of Jurassic Park 2 and 3 that, like, you really you can't get Vince Vaughn back for one of these. You can't get Julianne Moore. Yeah. Characters who should show back up. Especially because they brought B.D. Wong back <laughs> for this trilogy. It's like you, you really can't get anyone else who was in these movies to show up for a, a day or two and sit in a chair. We're about to see the three principal actors again in the new movie. I mean, it might be a be careful what you wish for type of situation. I, I You know, maybe Vince and Julianne know well enough to stay away. I mean, to be fair, most of the people in the sequel... Uh, in Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 were in the Psycho remake, so do they have good judgment? <laughs> True, yeah. Um, I, I just feel like I like it when characters like have things that carry from movie to movie, mm-hmm. and if one of those was a girlfriend who's Julianne Moore and a boyfriend who's Vince Vaughn, I would just like that. I would like to see how those relationships have grown. I would like to see Kelly back. I like her. Yeah. You know, like, I understand why the Kirby's would not come back because they have their own life. But, like, Billy is part of Alan's life. Eric, you you went parasailing again? (laughs) Dad, it's it's Isla Nublar. It's different. 
<laughs> but the thing is, this third Jurassic World movie where it is global, <clears throat> you don't have to have some sort of conceit to get everyone to the island. We could ac- absolutely cut to Enid, Oklahoma and show William H. Macy running his paint towel store and a dinosaur comes in and he hits it with a uh you know at the top of a toilet like I don't know. <laughs> this is Dog. the first time I have wanted to see this new Jurassic World movie. Like at this very moment suddenly it's like oh that's all it would take. Yes, yes, I If I it is the greatest movie. hits of Jurassic Park friends and Chris Pratt gets eaten, it'll be the best movie ever made. <laughs> mm. I hate that character so much. But this trilogy I'm sorry, Andrew, you just haven't even seen any of these movies. <laughs> this trilogy has abandoned even the characters who were introduced in the first one. Mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard has a whole extended family that they've just decided are no longer characters in this franchise. It's true. God, I hate that I'm going to have to like think about those movies more. But don't worry, there's a genetically engineered frog girl, and I think she's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I think the pterodactyl cage being left open, just to steer things back to movies I've actually seen. Uh, is a funny continuation of the thing from one where they set up a sequel hook that just doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, it's shocking that hasn't come to fruition ever. Either the whole, you're talking about the shaving cream. Yeah, absolutely. It gets buried in mud on the island. End of story. Wow, what a satisfying conclusion. So glad it was, (laughs) like, yeah. Not only does it get buried in mud on the island, but I believe everyone is always saying like, oh, the fourth movie should be they have to go back to the island to get the shaving cream can. But it has a limited life. Two days, right? Isn't it 48 hours? And so you don't ever need to get back anyway. And it's only a a matter of like, you know, he's smuggling them off. But all you need to do is get B.B. Wong to make new embryos anyway, which is what they do. So you don't need the shaving cream can. I don't, I've never understood why people he also are obsessed take with the shaving all of cream. The sh- he doesn't take all of the dinosaur specimens. Yeah, he takes like only 15. Yeah. And that building is not destroyed at the end of Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's just abandoned. Yeah. Clearly they were able to do stuff in Jurassic World. I think Dodgson is coming back, not the actor, because he, he did some things. But the character of Dodgson is coming back in Jurassic World Dominion wars i don't know what it's called <laughs> hmm, interesting i mean i've always been curious about like what's going on at ingen which like they're just like a corporation of evil people it seems like but certainly some of them are legitimate businessmen doing business right what's up with ingen why are they like this and do they still exist at the time of jurassic park 3 because at least the lost world makes very clear that like ingen has stake in what's going on here they're trying to do stuff oh, that's a good point ingen may as well not exist at this point I mean, they must be bankrupt after paying off all the families in San Diego, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, did uh, yeah, and it, I, I assume John Hammond's dead at this point. Yeah. And then by Jurassic World, it's not InGen anymore. It's a different company, right? Right. It's uh the who's the actor who passed away recently? Is it Oh Rufa Khan? Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Also gets eaten in a uh, pterodon cage, right? Uh, I think his helicopter crashes. Uh, that movie right. sucks He crashes balls. into it and, and it lets them all out, right? right? I, I thought, that I, movie I has remember. like no respect for the rules of like Jurassic Park, you know, like the nature humanity rules, and it makes me so mad. There is content. Talking about I've it. never seen a Jurassic World. It sounds like there's many of them. So there is content in the middle of these books, and let's talk about it. What do you think of these glossies? Oh, they're nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're really nice. I like um. 
I like that they're at sort of like Dutch angles, so it looks like a scrapbook that you put together yourself. I like that I like there's cutouts, like you put a sticker in the middle of your scrapbook. I think you get a better view of the Spinosaurus in those glossies than you ever really do in the movie. Like, it's like, ooh, I wish the Spinosaur yeah. looked like that in the movie. But I kind of, I think, kind of think it's stupid looking. It's super stupid. I don't think looking. it. I don't think it looks good uh, when looking at camera. Mm-mm. You know, it would not do well in a Jonathan Demi movie. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, like I just don't like it. I know that the Spinosaurus is a real dinosaur, but it seems like a fake dinosaur. You know, they're like, <laughs> okay, well, the T Rex has weaknesses, right? Its arms are short; it can't see you, and the Spinosaurus is like, no weaknesses, long claws. Big sail loves to swim, and I'm like, I fucking hate that fake yeah. dinosaur. Though I think they've sort of established in real paleontology that the spinosaurus was not like a land creature really so much. It was more of like a water creature. I have read and that. Was more like long and short because they. I think they say in this book it's only 16 feet tall. It's much bigger than that. In the movie, at least in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I well, have a great uh, sense of scale. I do think like... that there's size discrepancies in this movie more than any of the other Jurassic uh, <laughs> movies. Yeah, I think I do think that the Spinosaurus gets bigger and smaller as the movie goes on. Uh, I have a question. I don't know if anyone ever went on the Universal Studios ride, uh, despite. Uh, yeah, um, I, uh, I, maybe I mentioned this on the previous Jurassic Park episode, but my uncle designed that ride, and I think what? that the oh. birth of the Spinosaurus in the canon of Jurassic Park came from that ride. I think that's where he makes his first appearance. Because I think oh. I, I may be wrong, but I think that he's the dinosaur that comes out of the water and knocks you off course. I, like I said, I've never been on it, but huh. uh, I was that's hoping really that. Cool. Yeah, but yeah, I was wondering if the reason it's in the movie is because of the popularity of that ride, which no longer exists because it's now a Jurassic World movie starring Chris Pratt or Jurassic Ew. World ride. There is a um, when they dig through the the Spinosaurus poop, and a different dinosaur comes out to look at them. It's a Carnotaur. The Carnotaur, Carn- which in the book from is, the movie Dinosaur. Yeah. But in the, I think in the movie Jurassic Park 3, it is not. It is a slightly different dinosaur, but it has the same. I thought it was a Carnotaur. I read this on IMDb trivia, so take it with a grain of salt. That like, for some reason, the Carnotaur, which looks a lot like a T-Rex, but smaller. When they were like actually putting it in the movie, they were like, it looks too much like a T-Rex. Pick a slightly different dinosaur. So they did. And it's like a Ciceratore. That's is not right. Don't. <laughs> it has that similar sort of red face with yeah. the... But the horns. the actual dinosaur we are discussing has a major point in the book of the Lost World where they can change colors. They're like chameleons, and it's a fun it's a fun part of that book. The spinosaurus. No, no, the senator. Oh. Um. A camouflaging dinosaur would be a really interesting thing to explore in uh, the next uh, Jurassic World movie. It's a cool or thing the in first that book. One. I want to talk about these funny raptor. <laughs> mohawks actually <laughs> that those are the boy raptors i know they're the boy raptors you can tell because they have edgy haircuts alan grant is misgendering a lot of these animals <laughs> in this book i didn't notice but i'll i believe it he's he's referring to a lot of things as boys even though if i was alan grant and i had worked gone to jurassic park i would at least assume they were all yeah. female mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good point even though life does find a way as we all know I found it yeah um I understand that in the making of this movie, we had all learned that raptors had feathers, and they decided they had to include feathers. 
but deciding to include spiny feathers only on the top of the boy raptor's heads. <laughs> feels like a strange choice to me, right? Like, I feel like the in the trailers for Jurassic World 3, Colin, they're back. They have, like, feathers on their elbows, which feels like a logical kind of almost cool place to put them so they're, like, verging on wings. Mm-hmm. Top of head, they just look so unbelievably lame. I mean... Hannah, did you intend to make a their back reference? Yes, I did. Okay, just Thank you. Make, like, good joke. Thank you. Thanks for rolling back the rock on that, Andrew. What are the chances that <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion is about voting machines? <laughs> Anywho, in the space where there would be glossy photos in a novelization, Survivor does still have content, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. It basically oscillates between these like stickers that you can tear out. They're perforated, Ooh. which is cool. I remember these stickers. I had them. Did you stick them on stuff? And then the backside, (laughs) the backside of the stickers is like uh, explanatory information about these dinosaurs. So I'll only read one. Are they stickers or are they bookmarks? They might be bookmarks. They might be stickers. It's impossible to say. You really need a bookmark to get through this very lengthy, dense book that, that will take you days and days to read. Hey, if you're six years old. Imagine how disappointing it would be to stick something you thought was a bookmark in, and it just sticks to the page. (laughs) So I'll only read one of these, but there's one for the Ankylosaurus, and it gives you the pronunciation, and it's length of 25 feet, it's height of 4 feet at hips, it's weight of 3 tons, and it's when, which was 66 million years ago, uh, beware of club tail. And it says, these Mm. tank dinosaurs are well armored. Keep a respectful distance from their massive three-ton bodies and the heavy bone clubs on their tails. Note, when swung from side to side, these clubs are at the same level as the knees of predators like Tyrannosaurus. I think, I mean, we joked with Good Burger to Go when we did that episode that they should have had glossy insert photos for a movie that didn't exist. I still would really like to see that. I think it's pretty cool that they made different use of where the glossy insert photos would usually go in this tertiary tone. Sure. Yeah. Have there been stegosauruses in Jurassic Park? Uh, there are some in Jurassic Park 2 yeah. during that scene where they're oh, yeah. capturing okay. the dinosaurs. They usually kind of get them in those crowd shot sequences. I actually remember now, and I, it might be somewhere at home, I had a third book around this time for Jurassic Park that was just an exclusive, like, Pokédex of dinosaurs and gave you, you know, were they in the Cretaceous or the Jurassic or... Uh, whatever period it was, and sort of just, like, facts about the different dinosaurs. So they were, and this book, beyond, you know, Jurassic Park 3 and uh, Survivor, you know, we have another book advertised, Prey, which was quite rare, but we will read it Uh, It's on the Internet Archive, but then there's a third book called Flyers, which appears to be about them encountering the pterodactyls that escaped, and that one is just unfindable. Fascinating. <laughs> but there's also stuff about free PC CD-ROM downloads. From the Jurassic uh, PC- Park Institute. Yeah, there's a website. Did anyone try to go to the JP Institute website? I did not. <laughs> I'm going to try right now. I did consider, should I try and mail in for this CD-ROM demo? <laughs> but I think it would just be a waste of my two ninety nine Check or money order. I mean, you can throw that money towards another screen of West Side Story, so... I already bought a DVD, so. <laughs> um, so jpinstitute.com now is it? It seems to be available. I don't know. It's it's giving me related searches: Mumbai management courses and MBA course. I'm afraid to click on anything. 
jp3pcgames.com slash demo one is also no, no longer exists. No! <sighs> I was hoping it would be like that Space Jam site that's just still there. Yeah. Or the Heaven's Gate website. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about the various physical stuff in the book, um, it, just a fun little note at the beginning of the novelization. A note to parents. This book is appropriate for ages 8 and up. The Jurassic Park films are rated PG-13. Consult www.filmratings.com for further information. So really hmm. looking out for the parents there. Yeah. I have a question about Jurassic Park Adventures 2 Prey, which I know that none of us have read, yes. but I would like us to consider. Eric is in that book, and they go back to the island. Why is he there? So is Alan Grant. I mean, for, well, to drag Alan back into it, okay. But, Hannah, okay, I, yeah. I would like to do like a crumb on that book at some point. Uh, great. Yeah. So yeah, the plot is described in the back of the Jurassic Park 3 novel. No, don't tell me. Prey. I don't want plot. How many times do I have to tell you guys? I don't want to know the plots of things before I read it's them. Just, okay, well, plug your ears. All right, We're going to read it. I'm not reading it. All right. <laughs> Play the Life on Mars song. You'll have to wave Lincoln me back Pizza. in. <laughs> All right. So a band of teenagers armed with video cameras and what they think are the rules of the island invade Jurassic Park. But their dreams of making a blockbuster dinosaur documentary soon turns into a nightmare because dinosaurs don't play by anyone's rules. Can paleontologist Dr. Alan Grant and 13-year-old Eric Kirby save them, or will they all become prey? And then there's a picture, which is some badly photoshopped images of Eric Kirby, Alan Grant, and some raptors in the woods. Yeah. Not as badly photoshopped as this cover, which <laughs> I would not want to be in this situation on the cover of Survivor. Really scary and bad. I just, I don't understand why Eric would be involved in this adventure. It sounds like he has escaped danger and he should not go back to it. And also, do we think that this is like a meta scream rules of the island situation? Are they trying mm. to play off the success of the scream franchise? <laughs> I don't know. This was during Scream's dead years. So. <laughs> widely widely referred to dead years. I feel like Eric probably becomes the Robin to Alan's Batman. Like, you know, he, he's established as a sidekick. Billy is alive. Billy is in the hospital. Yeah, Billy's not in great shape. I love a movie where it's like Kill Bill, where Billy is the bride in the hospital and raptors are coming to kill him. <laughs> They never forgive, and they never forget. I think I'm ready to ask Johnny a question. How does everyone feel? Ooh. Go for it. Johnny Pomato, you run a successful business in which you uh, let people parasail from the back of your boat while you go by Isla Sorna, which you are technically not allowed to do, but you know there's quite a profit to be had. Someone comes up to you, a, a young boy, and uh, his, his step-boyfriend, friend father and they offer you instead of payment in cash a copy of jurassic park 3 by scott c ensign would you accept this as payment having read the book uh i i, I you know i am an unscrupulous criminal if i am doing this already and i am uh you know my customer base are are, are teachers who have had affairs with teenage reese witherspoons in election and uh but i uh i, I did uh I, I will say i enjoyed reading this enough that i said 
God, it sure has been a while since I've seen Jurassic Park 3, which I was not planning to watch again for this podcast because I, I figured I'd seen it enough. But last night I said, well, let me just watch a few of my favorite scenes. And uh, cut to me at uh, 2.30 in the morning and the credits are rolling and I had <laughs> made it through the whole thing. So while I don't think I needed to do both, because they are similar <laughs> enough and I don't think that there are uh, enough deviations in the book... The book did its job in getting me in the mood for more Jurassic Park 3, and I double-dipped twice in one day, and I uh, had to watch that movie again. So, as a junior novelization, yeah, I think it's uh, pretty serviceable. It's fine. This is like Deviations, the book. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Hannah Blackman, you are... Alone on an island that you've been marooned on. You're a young child, and (laughs) you find plans. You didn't read this book, but I'm doing this anyway. You find plans that indicate that there is a safe house underground in the middle of the island. You get to that safe house, but accidentally become locked in, and the air turns off. So you are going to suffocate in a short period of time. You have about 90 minutes to live, and there is a copy of Jurassic Park 3 by Scott Siensen, sitting in this bunker. You're doomed. Either way, you're doomed. <laughs> Would you spend your final 90 minutes reading this I book? mean, to answer this question earnestly, no. Mm-hmm. I would spend my last 90 minutes trying to get out of that box. Mm-hmm. Even, I know you've said it's impossible, but you never know. So. Right, and he does get out. Just a spoiler for Survivor. He's a okay, survivor. Good. So, so I'm glad that I continued to try, because it sounds like if I just fucking gave up, <laughs> I would have died. <laughs> that being said, I think this book is perfectly good. It does have enough changes from the movie that it made it kind of like a oh, interesting, fun reading experience. Um, I think it cuts out a lot of the stuff from the movie that I like the most, but that's okay. As junior novelizations go, yeah, I'd like it. I'd recommend it to a kid who likes dinosaurs. Amazing. Hannah, you got one for us? Yeah, I do. Uh, Andrew Marco, you- Rar. You are a paleontologist. Your boyfriend, who is much older than you, is also a paleontologist, and you like him, but you also really look up to him, and you want his approval a lot. (laughs) And you guys read the same books because you're in the same field and you try things out. You're you're making recommendations back and forth and that's part of your relationship and it's generally good. And then one day he gets real mad at you because you did a bad thing. And to try and make up for it, you're like, let me recommend a book to you. Would you recommend Jurassic Park 3, the junior novelization? I mean, I had a Jurassic Park 3 day today. I woke up at 5 in the morning and watched Jurassic Park 3. And then I read the junior novelization of Jurassic Park 3. And then I read uh, Jurassic Park Adventures number one survivor. I enjoyed all that I did with this series today. You know, I, I sort of like the cozy world of this. The only issue I really have with this book was that it ruined my favorite moment of the entire movie, which is in the film uh, when there's the cellular phone that keeps ringing. The, it there's this point when they all reunite and it's like, I heard the phone. I heard the phone. And he's like, Oh no, Nash had the phone and Nash got eaten. And then everyone just turns around and just standing there having made no noise, <laughs> looking adorable is our Spinosaurus. The book ruins this by saying we heard the, the cell phone. And then we heard the stomping and the clomping. And I'm like, that is one of the funniest moments in cinema. <laughs> in and cinema. You, have made it, you, you have tried to make it 
tense, and I do not appreciate it. But yeah, I, I like this stuff in general. I think it it adds nicely to what is already a very lean, fun, goofy movie. It does, it, you know, it adds some stuff. It has some fun deviations. I'm I'm on board. Read it, Andrew Overbeam. Hello, you're a Velociraptor. Yes. Does he have frills on his head? Yes. Cool. You and your life partner have a bunch of eggs. Two of them get stolen, and you both are like, unacceptable. Let's hunt down the bastards who did that. You find them, and they are like stand upright weirdos, and you're like, I don't know what that deal is, but I'm going to get those eggs back. And then one of those stand up weirdos starts barking at you, read Jurassic Park 3. Read Jurassic Park 3. And you're like, what are you talking about? Give me my eggs back. <laughs> and so they get you get the eggs, but it's, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, should I read Jurassic Park 3? And should you? I would not read Jurassic Park 3 without reading Survivor as well. <laughs> so I'm doing that annoying thing where I'm sneaking another passage in, in my review. It was hard <laughs> to fit this in, but the thing, here's my take on Scott C. Ensign, the late, the great. He was basically mm. tasked, I'm assuming... He won't respond to my Twitter messages, but I'm assuming that he was tasked with doing both of these books or all four of these books or whatever at once. Like these were, this was a job where it was like a package, right? The junior novelization. We also want to do this, this book about the boy. And he has a cogent through line for the Eric character that I think is really good. And it's like a cool take on getting that assignment as a job. So at the end of Survivor, he has been fighting with like raptors and whatnot and he's had to go hide up in a tree and we have a chapter that begins it took a day for the raptors to leave i had time to think while i waited looking back on everything i realized that what i thought wasn't really important what mattered was what i felt ever since i'd come to the island i'd either played it safe or taken risks gone the way of my father or my friend that wasn't going to change but i hadn't felt like i was part of things here how could I? I'd been running. I'd been hiding. I stared at the raptor claw. Looking at it, I knew that I had finally learned Dr. Grant's lesson. I had adapted. I had become a part of the island, and it had become a part of me. So, his idea, Siensen, for the first book, is like, okay, you know, it boy becomes animal, because he has to become animal to survive. Then in the second book, he runs into Dr. Grant, who is like his inspiration. And it really colors that scene where he's like, no, it's a new raptor claw. Because not only is he seeing a guy get freaked out by him being a bit animalistic, he's seeing his hero, who sort of inspired him to embrace his animalistic side, be like, come back to civilization, little bud. Be an astronomer, not an astronaut. Exactly. At the end of the second book, I think of it as the second book, the Jurassic Park 3 novelization. Eric has been rescued. He's on a plane with the military heading home. And it says, turning to the window, Eric looked out on the island, his mind filled with unanswerable questions. He had come here a boy filled with dreams of adventure. What he had experienced had changed him. Could he exist in the world outside again? Or would his dreams be filled with this island for the rest of his life? It's, it's an interesting thing. One book takes him into complete, you know, animal being... And then the next book is like, he wants to come back. And it, it, it sort of brazenly is not like, this is the book where he gets back. Maybe Prey is the mm -hmm. book where he gets back. This is the book where he's like, 
I have to adapt again and to become the thing that I used to be because of everything I've been through is actually as challenging as becoming something I wasn't was. So yes, I think both of these books stand alone really well. I think they're like super entertaining. I love all the little digressions and changes that are made in the Jurassic Park 3 novelization. And I think as a as a couplet, the two books that I read are really satisfying. This is a, a big recommend for me, and it blows the <laughs> Jurassic Park novelization. Episode three of our podcast, uh, Until Crumbs Happened, the shortest episode we'd ever had. It just blows it out of the water. It's There's no comparison. I mean, I agree. This is an infinitely better book than the Jurassic Park Junior novelization. So I have a final question. Sure. Take yourselves back. It's July of 2001. Eight-year-old Andrew comes to you with this drawing. Would you put it on your fridge? Yes. 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 A thousand times. Yes. I'd put it on my fridge today. (laughs) Yeah. If you mailed that to me, I'll put it on my fridge. As a 19-year-old in 2001, I think I would have too many questions to answer as to why I have an 8-year-old's drawing on my fridge, so uh, I'll say no. Wow. Cold. Well, uh, you know, it's a a fine drawing. I think you captured the mustache beautifully. (laughs) To our listeners, please rate us favorably. Uh, Please review our podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Um, and I am going back to doing literature quotes to end the episode. I think I've got a good one today. See if you can figure out what this is from. So, um, here, let me just pull it up. Hey, Romeo, what are you reading? Uh, it's a bit hard to explain, Juliet. It's a prequel slash interquel to the novelization of the third film in a series. Wow, that sounds really interesting, but not necessarily something I would like to read. Yeah, Juliet, it's not exactly your speed, but I think you might enjoy hearing me talk about it or hearing four strangers talk about it. Thanks, Romeo. Thanks for not pushing me into that when you know that maybe it wouldn't be my cup of tea. I really appreciate our relationship, and I'm excited for where it goes. Good night. 